Hello, friends. We're back with episode 152 of the Our Wicked Howards podcast. We're happy to join us wherever you are around the world. And this is the weekly show where we highlight, no pun intended, the awesome uh, highlight section of the Our Weekly website, uh, particular issue at rwiki.org. My name is Eric Nance, and yeah, we're almost midway through February. This has always been the time of year where I kind of want to get the spring now, you know, just to cheer things up a bit. But yes, we are back, and I'm not alone. I'm always joined at the virtual hip here by my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing well, waiting on spring. Also, uh, we had about 60-degree weather here in New England this past weekend, and today we got a foot of snow. So Them's the breaks. <laughs> Them's the breaks, man. It just never ends, does it? Yep, but... <laughs> We'll get through February soon enough, but um, one way to speed things up is listening to us banter about this week's Our Weekly Issue. And if you're not familiar with the project, every week we have a new curator to, to take the reins. And this week it is John Calder, another longtime member of our curation team. And as always, he had tremendous help from our Our Weekly team members and contributors like you all around the world. So I wouldn't be shocked that if some of you listen to this podcast, there might be a section or two when you might hear yours truly kind of ramble, but you'd be like, yeah, yeah, we get it, Eric. Maybe tone it down a notch. Well, guess what? That can also happen with our packages as well, especially those that like to, you know, through no fault of their own, give you a heads up through messages or warnings or other diagnostics as, you know, operations are commencing, analytics. Um, but there may be some cases where you want the user to kind of be able to opt in or opt out of this kind of behavior. So our first highlight is going to talk about, as a package author, how you can take advantage of some nice utilities both within R itself and within the R ecosystem to help give, you a, give your package users a little more control on the verbosity, so to speak, within their package experience. And this comes from the awesome R OpenSide project once again. In particular, the blog post has been authored by Mark Padgham, who is a open source uh, open source software developer at R OpenSide, as well as returning once again, Miles Salman. The street continues of highlights that she's involved with. And this blog post starts off with basically if you've written any package or function, you've probably have done this once or twice, or frankly, in my case, a lot more. Where you have a function, you know it's going to do some complicated stuff. And especially for you as a developer, you want to see what's happening in your console as things are, are being processed. And you might have an argument that says something like verbose or quiet as a simple true or false. Just indicating, you know, a little switch to turn that diagnostic on and off. It's spread throughout the R ecosystem. You're going to find many, many functions and packages that have this approach. Um, but is there, as they say in the blog, it could introduce a bit of clutter and making the user have to customize this every time for each function. Well, maybe instead the approach you might want to take is having this configured at the package level. And that's where using an option statement could come in quite handy as you, the package author, where you might have an option talking about, you know, is my package message going to be quiet or not? And then the user could set that option themselves, run the function without having to introduce another parameter in that said function. And then maybe they want the situation switch. They can just run that option again, 
rerun the function without any changes to the function code or the function call, and it will give them the behavior they want. So that is one approach, and we're starting to see more of that. But, you know, guilty as charged here on this very podcast. I have not done this much enough, but I'm definitely thinking about um, this approach. Now, there, as usual, the AR community, you know, you know, comes to the rescue again, so to speak. If you want to tap into somebody kind of doing this boilerplate for you, so to speak, guess what? There is um, packages that we talk about on this show quite a bit, the CLI package and by proxy, the Rlang package, which is actually, you know, building a lot of this functionality with their own equivalent of like the typical message, warning, and stop functions that you find in base R. And so you can opt into using Rlang and CLI in your package if you want to take a dependency on that to kind of mimic this kind of behavior at a package level. Um, they have functions called like inform, CLI underscore inform. And then there are options that you can tweak at the CLI or Rlang level that could, you know, your your package could tap into. And so that is another great approach if you just want to take advantage of other great work in your package to control verbosity. Um, now, there are some things that you want to consider with that, especially if you think about, you know, how deep you want to go with this. One of those is just simply, how do you want to control the level of verbosity? Yeah, so one interesting thing that I've seen done in a lot of packages that I've used but never really knew exactly how to implement it in some of the packages that we've authored is the idea of displaying a warning or a message only once per session. I think that's that's really interesting. I think it's really powerful because it sort of lets lets you know, okay, this is something that you should be aware of, but we're not going to continue to to throw it in your face over and over and over again. And I think that's really useful, probably a nice feature of the, the R ecosystem. I don't know if that really, that concept exists in other ecosystems as well. But um, you're able to do that by setting uh, the frequency parameter of the RLib message verbosity options to the string once. Um, which I hadn't seen before. So there's a great little section here that talks about exactly how to do that. And I am looking forward to trying to implement that in, in some of the packages that we've developed because I think that could be a much better user experience um, to just be able to display some of these these messages or warnings uh, only one time per session. Then Mel also talks about, and um, excuse me, not just Mel, but Mark as well, um, also talk about uh, regaining package level control from your global options. And and this is sort of the issue that takes place when you have dependencies, right? Upon other packages that are using Rlang or, or CLI or with R to display messages, and you don't necessarily have as much control to turn that verbosity on and off because it's it's not your package. It's not your code. It's a dependency um, of your package. So there's a, a really nice couple of code snippets in here that employ the local options function from Rlang, which is really interesting. And that would allow you to essentially locally 
um, within the function that you're authoring, turn on verbosity or, or off. So you can set the rlib R message verbosity um, as, as verbose or once or, or essentially whatever you want and as, control that sort of in this, to me it feels with R-ish, um, but, it, but it's a, a function called local options from the rlang package that allows you know within that function to, to handle the verbosity specifically. And I think that a lot of these concepts and code snippets can be especially helpful when you are developing your package or debugging your package because maybe you, you know that this warning message is going to pop up and you're, you're trying to do a lot of little tweaks and you don't necessarily want to see that over and over and over again as you develop but obviously in the production version of your package that you're going to release out to the world you you do want those warnings to pop up to users who aren't going to be running the same exact function over and over and over again like you might be doing during development. So I thought that that was a really powerful concept too. There's some fantastic uh, R code snippets as well. And it's a really great overview and blog post around this topic of verbosity, which which again, Eric, I think is pretty unique to the highlights and not one that we see too often. And it gets back to really usability, user experience, and um, you know how easy it is for other folks to be able to, to use and be comfortable with your R package. And to me, the little things go a long way. I know you feel the same way. That's certainly a, a shiny concept as well, but I think it, it extends very much uh, into our package development to try to make the tools that we create as useful as possible to others. Yeah, it was really excellent uh, summary here. And also, I I kind of laugh about this, but I stumbled into this by happy accident almost as I'm updating an internal package at the day job where I'm deprecating a couple of function arguments in favor of a more simple third one. And I tapped into, you know, looking at the R packages online book, talking about their deprecation section. And I saw a package called Lifecycle, which is what the Tidyverse often uses to give these messages. And apparently they default to once per session, as you said, with the Rlang options of, hey, this fu function parameter for like, say, tidyr gather or spread is deprecated. Please use this instead. And lo and behold, I was able to tap into that with my internal package as well, where you know, for it's been over five years of existence, if not longer. And it's only now that I'm introducing this in this in soft deprecation right now. And then a version later, it's going to be like, it's gone after that. But I'm being nice right now and saying, hey, guess what? Use this new path argument, not these like two arguments instead. And this will only display once per session. So they don't get annoyed by it, but enough to get the hint. So it's nice that Lifecycle is just another one of these packages. If you want to see how others wrap the use of rlang or coi that's a great demonstration of it and yeah mike it's something where i just haven't done this a lot in practice but seeing what options are available whether it's just a simple boolean to turn it on and off or the different levels of it another great compliment to this as well if you want to do more systematic messages and maybe parse by other systems a lot of these concepts also apply with the logger package um, which I've been using quite a bit in my um, more back-endy kind of package development in Shiny apps where I need to send that session kind of operation pipeline diagnostic to not just the R console, so to speak, but also to, say, a database where I'm keeping track of all the activity so I know where maybe some of the gotchas are that, or where time is being spent on my app or my package. So there's lots of the principles here can apply in many different ways. So it was really, really good to see here. 
I couldn't agree more, Eric. And those are two great shout outs to the life cycle and logger package. I think that complement these concepts uh, similarly. Speaking of compliments, um, I, I don't have a great segue for this, but I'll go with it. Bear with me, Mike, here. But um, do you remember the early days of the Internet when you would load these pages that were, you know, configured by frameworks like GeoCities, things like this? And there might be a page that you found that's kind of entertaining, but do you notice that it's taken a while to load, has this big image, and it just scrolls slowly, 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 slowly into focus until it's finally rendered? That's one of those cases where an image was probably uploaded in its most raw form possible, you know, straight from whatever software they used to produce it or, or camera that they took a picture of. Who knows what else? Well, this can also happen if you're developing or writing a blog, maybe with our Markdown or another framework. And you notice that, yeah, that image you put on there, ugh, that's, that's a bit hefty. Well, there are ways that you can um, optimize that for web viewing or other documents that you want to minimize the footprint of. That's where our second highlight comes in. This is a blog post called Optimize Your Images with R and the Resmush API, fun name. Um, this is authored by Diego H. I couldn't quite track down uh, what he does, but apparently he is part of the R Open Spain project, which is quite intriguing. Um, but he talks about a recent need that he had in, in, his, um, in his work with one of his package vignettes, um, such as his package called Tidy Terror, which has a lot of images. And he likes to include pre-computed -com pre images or pre-computed results in his vignettes. And he noticed that that was producing higher size file size images that maybe the CRAN maintainers wouldn't necessarily like in vignettes and such in PDF form or whatnot. So he decided to write this R package that ties into this um, service called Resmush, where it's an API. And this is interesting. It's freely available. Don't need your API keys for this, at least yet, where it'll give you for an image of say five megabytes or less, it'll give you a way to compress that with various optimization algorithms throw your PNGs, your JPEGs, your bitmaps, or whatever have you, and it will give you that compressed image. And with the demonstration in this blog post, it really looks like no discernible difference. Um, really top-notch, easy to use. And it seems like this is a, a great use case for not just those static files you might produce as part of a standalone document, but it looks pretty online as are friendly for online files as well. Um, so I, yeah, I'm intrigued by this. Never heard of the service before, but curious, Mike, have you had to deal with image sizes and looking for a way to optimize those further like this? I have, but you know, I haven't found a great tool for optimizing image sizes. So this blog post is, is very, very timely. It's, it's pretty incredible to me that he was able to get, this, you know, geospatial image down from from 1.7 meg to uh, like, what is it? Uh, 762 kilobytes. I mean, he, he almost took an entire meg off of this image size. And I can't tell the difference at all. And obviously, when we are submitting packages to CRAN, I think 10 meg is the the top, uh, the largest 
package size that you can submit to CRAN, if I'm not mistaken, Eric. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds right. So, I mean, if, if you have vignettes, detailed vignettes especially, that are containing images and things like that, that can you can hit that fairly quickly um, with some of these additional assets like images, and it, it makes it very difficult. I will say this blog post is going to be super helpful for some folks who are trying to create detailed vignettes um, with images that are looking to to ensure they stay under that crayon threshold. It looks like Resmush uh, allows a lot of different formats that all of some of the existing packages like XFun, uh, TinyR, OptOut maybe handled a couple of these cases like PNG and JPEGs, um, but but not necessarily GIFs or, or bump files or, or TIFFs or PDFs. And Resmush handles all of these different formats, I guess, except PDF, it, it looks like is the only format that it doesn't handle. But obviously, I think most of the time when you're you're working on image compression, you're, you're typically working with probably a, a PNG or, or a JPEG or, or a TIFF file or something like that uh, in the case of some of these geospatial images. So this is super handy. One of the other things that this just reminded me of that I, I will call out as well is if you are trying to create very thorough documentation around your R package, um, particularly with a package down site, um, you'll often see a section on a package down site that has articles on it. And initially, I thought that that was just sort of a an, uh, representation of the vignettes that you have in your R package. And it is. But you can also do something called create an article, which is not a vignette, but it lives on your package down site within, uh, you know, within that same articles section, but doesn't go to CRAN if you were to essentially submit that package. It's 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 ignored from, from the R build, um, and you can create one of these articles, if you will, using the use this package, use article function. So that's really handy, I think, when you are trying to you know add additional documentation around your package that isn't necessarily a vignette that, that folks using your R package in an interactive setting within an, R, an IDE necessarily need to be able to have access to. You know, as long as they have an internet connection, they can go take a look at um, this, this article's section on your package down site. And it's not something that's going to be built as part of your R package. So it'll help save that size if you are looking to keep your package size uh, smaller. So I think these are all fantastic resources. I'm excited to check out the Resmush package. It looks like it takes advantage. Eric, you may have mentioned this uh, of this resmush.it free online API um, that does a lot of the horse work here, which is, is pretty cool. So shout out to that service as well. And, and shout out to Diego for this awesome R package. Absolutely. And um, apparently this resmush um, service has been used heavily in content management frameworks like WordPress, Drupal. I mean, those things may sound familiar. So apparently it's got, it's battle tested, as they say. So I'm curious to give it a shot and, and not to sound too meta here, but in our weekly itself, whenever you see images in each issue, we actually do have some routines that go through the images that the user has linked to. And we have, we used to have an automated way of doing this. Now it's a script way of doing it where we compress those images using some other utilities. So we'll have to see if Resmush can give us an even better take on that. But it is a nice segue to say that there are more than one way to do this in the R ecosystem. So, uh, Diego's blog post below talks about 
some function um, packages from Ehuei, um, who, of course, we've mentioned many times on this very podcast. His XFund package has two functions called Tinify and OptiPNG. That if you have those utilities on your system, um, well, one uses a service called TinyPNG, an API service. Another uses an OptiPNG system library. So yeah, you may you may find that there are other routines in the R ecosystem that can help you just as much as the resmush one. But it's a good roundup at the end of the blog post if you want to see just what is available in this space. Because um, as usual, there's always more than one one way to handle it. Um, each will have their advantages and disadvantages. But hey, an API service that's free to use—it almost sounds too good to be true. But apparently, it's still there. So we'll we'll keep leveraging it, I guess, after seeing this blog post. Free to use and no API key. It's pretty incredible. Yes, and wouldn't it be nice, Mike, if everything we could do just didn't really have a big cost to it or much time involved, it just magically worked. Well, sometimes you have this idea for a major project that can benefit perhaps the entire R ecosystem, whether it's a package or a suite of packages, or to help with community efforts as well. Well, this is a time of year, if you wanted some backing for it, this is the time to think about it because our last highlights are more of a uh, my call, uh, call to action or public service announcement here where the R Consortium for another year is about to open their proposal um, opportunity for their infrastructure steering committee to accept you know proposals for grants backed by the R Consortium project itself. So if you're not familiar with the R Consortium is, we talked about it quite a bit on the podcast, but just to state the brief background of it, it is a joint uh, collective effort of multiple industry or uh, multiple companies within industry as well as the R Foundation to help bring support for infrastructure of the R project itself and community efforts that support the mission of R itself. And so starting March 1st of this year, they will have the open, um, open call for proposals. And you may wonder, what will these proposals look like? Well, guess what? On the R Consortium site, they do have a section on all of the already funded projects. If you want to get a familiar or you want to get familiar with what's been funded before, both on a technical level and community effort. And this call for proposal is a bit on the technical side, but it can be used to help, you know, things with community efforts. Actually, a, a listener of this very show, regular listener, John Harmon, actually has been funded by the R Consortium with his API to R package development, which is we've been keeping eyes on that and the suite of packages that John's been developing. That's been really fun to watch. We've seen efforts like DBI go through the R Consortium, which is, of course, the uh, translation of, you know, database, you know, APIs to R. That's been huge in my daily work and seeing DBI really take their infrastructure up, you know, a few notches. Um, that was, that was great to see as well. And like I said, technical efforts to bootstrap the community as well. Um, so there's lots of opportunities here. So if you or a team are thinking of a way to help the R ecosystem, help the R community in general, um, and you want support from the R consortium, this is the time to get those proposals ready to go. But I can speak from experience working the R consortium and my um, 
submissions working group. It's been a pleasure to work with them and they've been instrumental in a lot of our life science efforts. So certainly highly recommend that. Check that out. No. And again, this is one of those things that just makes me love the, our ecosystem. You know, the fact that we have initiatives like the art consortium who are, are trying to essentially, you know, further the science and, and improve the world using our software. And it's, it's incredible. It warms my heart. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is also another reason if you, you have, you know, at, at year end, um, you start thinking about donations and, and causes that you or your company may want to support, you know, take a look at our open side, take a look at our consortium. Um, I guess this is part of the Linux foundation projects, correct? which is, yep. is pretty cool. And consider, I would say contributing, um, to one of these causes because, because they're phenomenal, um, that they help everybody. And I, I do like the fact that this is both a technical and social sort of call. Um, so submit your proposals, check out the blog post, all the information that you could ever need is in here, including a, a link to learning more about how exactly you can submit that proposal. And um, those important dates around the grant cycle are, are March 1st, uh, closes April 1st. So you have that that one month window. And then I guess there's a second grant cycle that'll be later in the fall of 2024. So keep your eye out. I'm sure we will uh, rehash this as some of these dates get closer and looking forward to seeing uh, what comes out of this next round of proposals. Yeah. And um, I, I've got my eye on this in a few ways. So uh, that'll be the uh, teaser in this business to say, stay tuned. But in any event, as you said, Mike, we're we're going to continually keep an eye on this. And you may be wondering, well, how do you keep an eye on efforts like this in general? Well, guess what? It's all in our weekly itself, right? Each issue does have a section on upcoming events. Maybe it's webinars or presentations where you might hear about these efforts. And there is a specific section on grants and funding proposals. So this is right in that very section. So that's why you, you if you haven't bookmarked our weekly, you definitely should. And my buys. Heck yes, I am, but in a good way, of course. And speaking of the issue, there's always more than just the highlights that we touch on here. So we'll take a few minutes to talk about the additional highlights that we found here. And for me, I found a uh, quite entertaining post um, from Angela, who has the Art Critique blog, about some of the discoveries she had about quote-unquote hidden objects. <laughs> Definitely had her, uh, looks like scratching her head a little bit. Um at a high level, what she discovered is that in R, much like you have in your Linux or Unix system, you might have, in the case of R, objects that have a period in front of their name. That's kind of in Linux and Unix nomenclature to denote what we call a hidden object, which by default viewing, you're not going to see right away, only if you do like a special option to show hidden files. Well, guess what? When she tried to wipe out objects in her RStudio session using like the erase button in the environment pane or whatever it is, she saw a dialog appear that says, okay, this will wipe out all your objects. And then there's a checkbox is saying, include hidden objects as well. <laughs> that was kind of bewildering. And that would be for somebody new to this. But apparently you can take advantage of this in R. Maybe you want to make an object that maybe more like behind the scenes and you don't want it to like be up front and center in any environment viewer, putting the period prefix on, on that can, could help in that case. In any event, she does have some interesting commentary on how that might not be the best approach depending on your situation, but nonetheless, 
one of those things where I can sympathize seeing something as odd as that and kind of going deep into just why that is. And apparently it's still a feature request to be able to view those like more easily in, in the viewer. But yeah, to each their own, I guess. But entertaining read nonetheless. No, that's that's a great call out. Uh, and sometimes uh, when I am removing some of these objects in my environment, and I think I'm always including that, that checkbox, including the hidden objects as well, sometimes my memory doesn't really decrease as much as I was sort of expecting it to. So I got to look in, into that, another hidden um, uh, hidden feature of, of our studio that I have to dive into, maybe for another blog post for another day. But an awesome blog post that I am super, super excited about because I have been watching this project. Uh, it, it's been, I think, probably over a year in the making with some folks working really, really hard on it from ideation to now uh, production is the censored package has arrived. Uh, I believe censored 0.3.0 is now on CRAN. And this is a package that allows you to work hand in hand within the tidy models ecosystem um, for censored regression and survival analysis. So if you are in the life sciences, wink, wink, um, to, to somebody I know, I, I think you may be very excited about this package as well. You may be surprised that even for some of us who are not in the life sciences uh, for credit risk problems, which are problems that, that we work on fairly often, we may want to know the time until a loan defaults or uh, until some bad credit event takes place or some good credit event takes place. You can you can have the opposite, right? If somebody's gonna gonna prepay their mortgage early, I, I kind of want to know uh, when that could potentially happen. But now I'm now I'm getting into the weeds uh, because survival analysis makes me makes me very happy and, and gets me very excited and I'm nerding out. But this censored package is all I've ever been looking for to be able to work doing survival uh, regression analysis within the tidy models ecosystem. There's all different uh, type arguments that allow you to predict uh, survival probabilities, the, the quantiles of the event time itself, uh, the hazard, um, just based upon tweaking this one argument um, called time within the particular engine um, that you are setting. And if you use tidy models, you'll be familiar with the syntax of how you construct these models. Um, it's going to feel very natural. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. Big thanks to Hannah Frick and ML Fetfield for I think doing a lot of the legwork to get this package uh, onto CRAN and in a place where we can all use it. Oh, this is awesome. Yeah, I remember when Tiny Models kind of first burst on the scene, the survival analysis was requested quite heavily in the beginning. And it's great to see you know, see this factored in. Hey, man, I have a soft spot for survival techniques as well. My dissertation used this quite heavily. And boy, we didn't have Tiny Models around back then. So don't don't look at my <laughs> R code from back then. My goodness. Ooh. Shout out to those that dealt with the S-Weave and, and LaTeX compile issues. I see you. I hear you. I've been there, done that. <laughs> but yes. yeah, Sensor looks absolutely awesome. I, in fact, we have some projects going on that are you know not quite the typical, like did a patient survive or not. It's um, certain events in, say, a trial like life cycle of like enrollment prediction and things like that. And, and we could definitely use some time to event analyses on that. So I will definitely be keeping an eye on this. Me too. And uh, just to, to let folks know, it looks like there are 
probably 11 different engines or algorithms that you can use within uh, this censored package, all the way from tree-based models to proportional hazard models to uh, random forests and, and more of your traditional survival regression models. So lots of options here to leverage sort of that, that tidy models feel and approach to survival analysis problems. Yeah, it fits really nicely with the whole ecosystem in general. And I definitely am expecting that as the community gets their hands on this, we're going to see more engines supported. In fact, if I had infinite time, I would go back to said dissertation research and see if I could implement what's called a competing risk engine to this, because that's exactly the, the type of survival technique I use. Hey, maybe someday, who knows? But uh Nonetheless, the R communities, you know, and the Tidy Models team does a terrific effort once again. And there's a whole boatload of terrific efforts you see in each R Weekly issue. If you haven't known by now, please, please do this. Bookmark rweekly.org. Just do it now. You'll never be disappointed. There's so much great content on here. Awesome packages that we didn't scratch the surface of, especially as I see this issue a lot in the space of spatial visualization and other um, visualizations that can definitely help an EDA, like an exploratory data analysis, and to visualize these things quite quickly. Some awesome enhancements to data.table, which we covered about last week, getting more details on that. And of course, upcoming events that we're seeing in the R community. So definitely bookmark rweekly.org. And of course, this is for the community, by the community, so to speak. So we value your contributions from wherever you are. If you found a great blog post, new package, or other resource that you want the world to know about, we're just a pull request away, folks. It's all marked down all the time. If you can write a sentence in plain text, you know how to do this. And it's simply linked directly in each uh, each issue. We have a link directly to the upcoming draft. Very easy to send us a pull request on that front. And also, we'd love to hear from all of you, not just for your pull request, but how we're doing on this very podcast. We have a little contact page linked directly in the episode show notes. We also have... A fun little opportunity if you have a new modern podcast app like Podverse, Fountain, Castomatic, many others. Um, I remember I just responded to somebody's uh, post on Mastodon asking for a better podcast app, and I sent them to a nice resource called podcastapps.com, which has a whole boatload of these to choose from. They can send us a fun little boost along the way if you want to get in touch with us directly. And then also, we are available on the uh, social medias. Um, Mostly on Mastodon these days for me personally, where I'm at our podcast at podcastindex.social, sporadically on the Weapon X thing with at the Rcast, and mostly also on LinkedIn from time to time with um, little posts about these very episodes. And I love hearing from you in the community. It's always great to, to hear from all of you. But uh, Mike, where can the listeners find you? Likewise, probably the best place is LinkedIn. You can see what I'm up to if you search for Catchbrook Analytics, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. Or you can get in touch with me on Mastodon at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org. Awesome stuff. And yeah, you keep up with Mike. He's, he's, never, he's never slowing down. He's had some great posts on LinkedIn recently. So you definitely want to check those out. And um, yeah, so... Nice and tidy episode this week. We're going to close up shop here. And again, thanks to all of you for listening. And um, we hope to see you back for another episode of our weekly highlights next week.